Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. If you've experienced a loss in motivation, energy, or sex drive, or if you've noticed that you're a little softer around the middle than you used to be, it could be your testosterone levels have dropped. By the time men reach the age of 30, in most cases their T levels have started to decline and low T can lead to a loss of muscle mass, depression, lack of energy, and a low sex drive. The good news is you can remedy this with Test X9. This revolutionary new formula comprises nine clinically proven ingredients in measured amounts to naturally boost your body's testosterone production. This will maximize your performance and drive in a professionally developed supplement featuring magnesium activation technology. Experiences in strength, energy, and sex drive, as well as improved sleep and well-being. If you want to take it to the next level, you can maximize your results with the Ultimate Test Act, which combines Test X9 with T-Assist, an estrogen control and liver support blend to turbocharge your T-levels and leave you feeling like a new man. You'll be amazed what an effect raising your T-levels will do to your overall performance and well-being. Don't settle for average. Man up at LegacySupps.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP for an additional 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com using the promo code POWERTRIP for 10% off. Like I said, don't settle for average. Man up at LegacySupps.com. Today's episode of Taskmaster Talks is sponsored by Blue Chew. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same approved ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Blue Chew is made in the USA. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians so you don't have to go to the doctor or wait in line. It's even cheaper than a pharmacy. And they prepare and ship it right to you in a discreet package. No awkwardness and you don't need to leave the house. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code SULLIVAN. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code SULLIVAN to try it free. Blue Chew is better, cheaper, faster. And we'd like to thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Remember, it's the support of our sponsors that make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use the promo code Sullivan at BlueChew.com. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking.
right. Joining us on the line right now is a former NWA World Tag Team Champion, a former USWA Southern Heavyweight Champion. He's been in WCW, the WWF Global, Smoky Mountain, everywhere else around the world. He is Mr. Reno Riggins. Reno, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to it. So what's been going on lately? What's what's going on in your world during these crazy times? I tell you what, in my world right now, I am truly blessed. I have two wonderful sons that uh, right now are playing baseball, and one's in high school, one's in middle school, and that eats up uh, most of my days and nights, uh, keeping up with them and being Mr. Mom, driving to practice and all that kind of stuff that goes with that. So, you know, just uh, just living the dream right now. Have you been in the loop as far as the wrestling business, or is that kind of uh, in the background right now? You know, I tell you what, I, I've been pretty fortunate in my life to kind of do what I want to do uh, and, and, and sell out and, and, and do I mean, do it to the utmost extreme. And then when I've been kind of done with it, I've just read to turn the page and move on to other chapters, other chapters of my life. And so I was fortunate enough in my younger days that I pursued the world of professional wrestling and um, enjoyed it to the utmost extent and uh, just, just absolutely loved it. And then, you know, father time is undefeated. And so after a while, your body kind of gives out on you. And, you know, you start looking for other horizons. Okay, this chapter of my life is done and gone. What can I go do now? And so now um, I have a successful uh, small business. It's an auto paint and body shop here in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, my dad started the company back when I was just a wee little bit of a kid. And uh, he retired a few years back, and uh, even through the years when I was struggling trying to be a professional wrestler, uh, I would I would work there. And even when I was, you know, at, at the, the height of my career, if I had a day off, and I'm and, and I was in Nashville, I was over there helping my dad. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I do that. Uh, I manage and run the uh, auto paint body shop now that I'm no longer getting dropped on my head for a living, you know. I mean, you, you got to do something, right? So, yeah, uh, yep. So so that's what I do and uh, enjoy it to the utmost extent. And so, like I said, just, just living the, the dream. I, I have friends of mine that still uh, stay involved in the wrestling business. They go on the uh, legend circuit and, and, you know, do the autographs and the meet and greets and the things of that nature. And, and I've done maybe one or two of those and I enjoy them when I do them. However, my schedule just doesn't permit me to do that very much. Although I can say, I, I, I love it when I go do it. Cause I get to see, it's almost kind of like going back to an old high school reunion and you get to see, you know, your, your old buddies that you, you know, bonded with and, and, and girls that you used to date and whatnot and, 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 and see them with their families and see my buddies with their families. And, and it was good going to one of those uh, reunions. I got to visit, sit and visit with uh, Jimmy Hart for a while and and, um, and my old buddy uh, Barry Horowitz got to visit and talk to him. It was the first time he and I had about a year or so ago. We got to reconnect, and it was the first time we'd seen each other in about 25 years. 
And so it was it was a lot of fun. And when we, once we saw each other, it was like we'd never been apart. You know, we were still uh, just, you know, just things had not changed. Uh, I mean, he still looks fabulous and great. He keeps in great shape. And it was good visiting with him. And Shane Douglas got to visit with him for a while. And then sometimes as, as much as my career took me to all over the world and, and meet a lot of interesting people, there's always still – I mean, I've, I've pretty much wrestled the, the the Mount Rushmore in my day of of the guys that were in professional wrestling. You know, the Bret Hart's, the Shawn Michaels, the the Ric Flair's, the uh, uh, the uh, you know, I've wrestled all the Four Horsemen and then some. And uh, and and then to see you know, the last one I met, I met Disco Inferno. I, I'd never met him before. Our paths had just never crossed in our careers, and and it was great sitting and talking and meeting him. You know, I told him I said how I would have enjoyed probably you know working with him in a match. You know, so those are the kind of things that for me uh, was always uh, kind of uh, thrilling to to go and do a couple of those. But like I said, my schedule's you know fairly fairly you know full, and I don't get an opportunity to go do those things because especially in the summertime because. Both my sons play competitive travel ball, and every weekend, like, I might be in Florida with one, and their mother might be with them in Indianapolis. You know, it just way it kind of works out. But that's, you know, I'm, I'm full-time dad, you know, and, and I'm enjoying it. And so that's, that's what Reno Riggins is up to these days. Nice. Now, were you always like a big fan? Is it is like wrestling always kind of been in your blood? Is that something you always wanted to get into? You know, I always uh, enjoyed watching it when, as a kid. Um, I lived, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and so I, I grew up on on the Memphis Jackie Fargo, Tojo Yamamoto, Don Green, uh, manager Saul Weingroff, and of course, this are, these are some names that. Uh, I would say probably maybe the majority of your audience may not, you know, recognize right off the bat. But if it wasn't for guys like that, you're not going to have your John Cena's and your Rocks and your Steve Austin's and and then stuff like that. I mean, the, Jackie Fargo uh, probably at the time in his heyday was is the equivalent of a you know Stone Cold Steve Austin or a Hulk Hogan or Rock or or something like that. You know, but however the the way the the world was back in the seventies, uh, you didn't have social media, you didn't have so much media through the internet. Of course, you didn't have the internet, and so you know a lot of those guys, um, you know, just just word just wasn't out. You know, promotion uh, was only going to be so big um, back in that in that time. But unlike today, where you know a person that doesn't even have a, a television studio or any equipment that would be needed back then to air programming. Heck, if you've got a cell phone, you've got a studio right there. There's one of the dads at the ball game today. He was live streaming the game. And wow, I, I just thought that that was just absolutely amazing. Anybody in the world could have been watching this, you know, 14-year-old baseball game today of these kids playing. You didn't have to have, you know, the ESPN trucks there. You didn't have to have a camera crew. I mean, it was just stuck the cell phone up up to the fence and live stream to, to the world. And I mean, what, what, what a grand world we live in right now too. It's got to make it easier for some talent scouts, right? They're probably sitting out there like watching live streams. Like, okay, I got my eye on this kid now, you know, it makes it easier for everybody. 
It, it does. It does. I mean, the whole world of scouting has changed for young up-and-coming athletes, not just baseball or football or things like that, wrestling, too. I mean, uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, uh, 2007, from about 2012-13, I, I produced a small wrestling program here in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was called uh, Showtime All-Star Wrestling, SAW. And, um, you know, I mean, we, it was basically like old-school studio wrestling, and uh, we were on one of the, I think, Warner Brother affiliate uh, stations here in uh, Nashville. Came on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock, great, great slot, and just, you know, used local talent, had a lot of great people involved that, uh, wanted to be involved with professional wrestling. When, when I first started in professional wrestling, I was trained. This was in the uh, uh, mid to late 80s. I was trained by a guy named Tojo Yamamoto. And I, I went and tried to talk with Tojo every Saturday night at the Fairground Sports Arena about becoming a pro wrestler. And he just basically just tried to run me off, you know, just, no kidding at time, you know, just give you the brush off. Back then they didn't want everybody and their mother in the in the wrestling business. It was it was, you know, kinda of like a little bit like the mob, you know, not not everybody could get in. And like today, uh I went to a uh, a wrestling school just watched them operate um uh, about a year or so ago before all this COVID stuff hit. Uh Crimson. Uh uh, has a wrestling school up in uh, Clarksville, and uh, and I saw the difference in how people were brought into the business and how uh, everybody could seek an opportunity in the world of professional wrestling. I was just amazed at that because I was taught a certain way, brought into the business a certain way, and thought that that was the only way for the longest until you know, uh, an old dog opened up his eyes and learned some new tricks. And, you know, everybody that gets into the world of professional wrestling or gets to, wants to pursue that, not everybody is going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair. You know, I mean, somebody's got to be a Howard Finkel, you know. Someone's got to be a Dave Hebner. Somebody's got, you know, a, 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 somebody's got to be a great referee. Somebody's got to be a great announcer. Somebody's got to be a great color commentator. So there's a lot of... Uh, uh, opportunities for people to, if that's what you really enjoy and pursue and you're very passionate about professional wrestling, there's opportunities to, to get into it. And like I said, not everybody can be the world champion. You know, when I was there at, uh, working at uh, WWF back in the late 80s and 90s, you know, my job wasn't to one day be the world champion there. It was to enhance guys that they were pushing, you know, it was the, the, the product they were pushing and I was there to help, you know, uh, help uh, enhance that uh, product that they were pushing, you know, in, in baseball, you have a guy who, who gives himself up for the greater of the team by sacrifice bunning, you know, um, that to me, that's one of the most honored uh, things a person can do is to give up their success uh, on the baseball field for the betterment of the team. And back then I didn't realize that. I was, you know, a young kid trying to find my way. But that's what guys like myself and Barry Horowitz and Steve Lombardi and 
Mike Jackson and uh, George South. That's what that's what guys like that were doing because we loved wrestling. You know, to be honest, and I, I would never say this to Vince McMahon or any of those guys that I worked for, but I'd have done it for free. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was being paid to travel the world. I've, I've I've got to be in every major city in the United States. I've got to go to Hong Kong, Philippines. I've been to Singapore. I've been to Japan. I've been to uh, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Italy, Germany, um, India. I mean, I've I've gotten to travel the world. You know, people used to ask me, especially if I didn't want to talk about professional wrestling. You know, sometimes it's good to take a little bit of a break from it. But back then when I was wrestling, people would say, well, what do you do for a living? I'd say I'd travel, you know, paid to travel. And that's, I'd pretty much hmm. just leave it at that because that's what we did every night. You know, you're, you're traveling somewhere, whether it be the next town over 150 miles away or whether it's cross country. I mean, I've literally gone from wrestling in, I think, Greenwood, Mississippi, in front of about 15 people one night to going and wrestling at a WWS event in front of about 15,000. And just I just thought how ironic that was, just going from one end of the spectrum of where a wrestler could be in their career, and then the next night you're, you know, you're at the, you know, you're at the major leagues of professional wrestling. You're at the the, the pinnacle, and uh, I'm very fortunate enough to wrestle uh, some of the best uh, talents, you know, in the history of pro wrestling. You know, I've I've wrestled the Road Warriors, I've wrestled uh Ravishing Rick Rude, uh Dino Bravo, Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, you know, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, um, you know, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, um, you know, some of the you know, some of the names that I'm I'm mentioning, you know, I, I think some of those guys are possibly in the Hall of Fame. And which gets me to another point. You know, someone asked me the other day, uh, do I think that guys that are were enhancement talent and, and, and this is let me let me clear clear something up for folks that, you know, don't understand the difference between enhancement talent and job guy and this, that and the other. Everybody that everybody that gets into this business for the most part stinks. They're horrible. Absolutely horrible. Ric Flair just didn't walk out first day and go, I'm styling and profiling. He stunk. He was horrible. Randy Savage. You know, and I'm, I'm saying, I'm mentioning these guys' names because in my mind, these are some of the, the, the best talents that have ever came across, you know, a, a wrestling ring. Now, Randy Savage used to do jobs down at NWA TV before he was Randy Savage. You know, Jerry Lawler one of the brightest minds in all of professional wrestling. Everybody has to start somewhere. So when people kind of sell guys short that, oh, he's just a job guy or he's just an enhancement talent guy, they have, that, mean, that means to tell me they have no idea anything about the business of professional wrestling. And do I believe that guys like, George South and Barry Horowitz and Steve Lombardi and myself and, you know, a few others, Mike Jackson, and go on and on, uh, deserve acknowledgement in a WWE Hall of Fame. You're doggone right they do because 
you know, as all the years that I wrestled, no one ever beat me. And you go, what do you mean no one ever beat you? I saw this guy beat you. It's not a legitimate contest. So who did they beat? You know, if I'm in a movie mm-hmm. with Sylvester Stallone and I'm his adversary and the Academy Awards come up for Best Supporting Actor, Apollo Creed or, or whoever, just to, to make a point, that's all these guys are. We're supporting. We're supporting actors. We're supporting performers. And those guys, you know, I mean, they give out a Best Supporting Actor Award in, in Hollywood, and everybody knows that that's as phony as it gets, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think I bring up a legitimate point that you've got to acknowledge these guys because without guys like who I just mentioned, then you don't have the the Road Warriors and the and the Rick Broods and the Rick Flairs and the the Arn Andersons and you no, know, you don't have any of that. So it's kind of hard to have a champion if you don't have the guy that put him over, right? So, you know, just if I had to plead a case, that that would be my plea to for people to, for wrestling fans to hear me, hear that, and you know, consider that that you know what it, it's it's all. I mean, it's all part of it. You can't have a match without a referee. You can't have a, a, a match without the ring. You can't, you know, you got to have, a, you got to, everybody plays a part. Everybody plays a role. Everybody is involved. And you have to acknowledge, if you're going to acknowledge one guy for being a world champion for no one that he ever beat in his life, then you've got to sit there and think, well, what are we really actually celebrating here? And so I feel like those guys need acknowledgement. You know, I don't need acknowledgement or vindication. The, my acknowledgement and vindication came when I was at WWF, WWF for the most part of my career. When I was there, and we would show up for television. And used to, before we was doing Monday Night Raw, we would have, basically, in two nights, we would shoot like six weeks worth of television. Basically. I mean, it was, mar- it was, it was marathon wrestling. <laughs> And when I had guys, as soon as I walked there to the building, guys come up to me like Rick Martell, Kurt Henning, Tito Santana, um, Owen Hart, come and ask me who they have you with tonight. I go, I don't know. I ain't seen the sheets yet. Would you mind working with me tonight on the second hour, third match, or whatever the case was? which I was honored to be that thought of by my peers perform with me uh, rather than go out there and, okay, I'm, I've got to wrestle some guy and the match doesn't mean nothing and it's just going to be five minutes. And, you know, believe me, I had my fair share of those when I first started with them. But later on down the line when guys saw, saw that hopefully I had a little bit of talent and they figured they could pull off a decent match with me, uh, that really made me feel vindicated. You know, that really made me feel really good. And I, I say that because I, I don't do a lot of these interviews. I don't speak a lot about the business. To be honest with you, I probably haven't watched wrestling on television um probably 10 years. Wow. Unless it was a show that I produced. And um, 
I took my kids to uh, watch wrestling maybe three years ago. I took them to a live event at the Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville. And, you know, just went up, bought a ticket like everybody else. I'm sitting up, you know, mid- midway in the, the arena, got my kids with me. And it was the first time since 1987 that I sat and watched a wrestling match and I personally did not know one person on the card. I didn't know a referee. I didn't know the ring announcers. I didn't know one performer. And I got to enjoy it as a wrestling fan again. Because after a while, when you're in the business and you know everybody, you you can get jaded, you can get slighted, you can get, oh, that guy's a jerk, or this guy's all right, or, you know, oh, man, why are they doing this? You you always second guess. It's easy to be armchair quarterback. When you're, you know, when there's guys in the business and you're watching them and, and you've had a good experiences, bad experiences with them. But this was the first time that I did not know a soul personally on the card. And I could just watch their performance and just kind of judge the performance of whether I was entertained or not entertained or, you know. And I tell you what, to WWE's credit, it was a house show. It was a house show. And uh, I was thoroughly entertained as a wrestling fan, which I hadn't got to be a wrestling fan. It was probably, what is this, about 2017, 18. So what is that? And about 30 years. 30 years. First time I got to, I, I got to actually go back to being a wrestling fan now. And it took 30 years to do it. But, you know, but I've been on the other side of it too. And I, I enjoyed that immensely as well. So, and I hate to be so long-winded. So, anytime you want to jump in and ask another question, you can you can jump right in because I'll go from subject to subject to subject. <laughs> hey, I I love it. I love listening. So, did you kind of like the the current roster? I'm mean, like the current way uh, wrestling was being done, or you thought a little different than obviously when you were in your prime? Do I like how the how the the the, the product was that I saw? Yeah, it, it was different. It, it was different. I'm not gonna. Uh, bash it and just say, well, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. It's just different. It's a, it's a different, it's a different era. It's a different time. The fans have been educated different. Um, not saying that that's right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just, it, it's bottom line, it was different. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, awesome. I felt like all the matches were high energy. I felt like every performer on the card, um, uh, gave uh, extreme effort. You know, I know the difference between when a guy's going out there and busting his butt and when one's being lazy. You know, I've seen it firsthand. I've been in those matches. It's kind of hard to pull that over my eyes. But I felt like every guy on that card really worked extremely hard. And I think that was the thing that really kind of got me excited, just to see their energy, uh, the way that they went about their business. Um, And like I said, I didn't know any of them personally, but I was just thoroughly impressed because when I was there, I was a young guy coming up, and some of the guys that were there, they were far beyond their prime, and they're, you know, night in and night out. Some of them were lazy, you know. Some of them were giving, you know, lackadaisical effort. And cause but, but to their credit, too, um, you know, this was in the era of you don't work you know, you don't get paid, and if you're injured, you don't get paid, and if you're 
not on the card. You don't get paid. So uh, they're trying to preserve their bodies. So not to really totally diminish those guys. However, if you can't go at a certain level, then, you know, Father Time creeps up. Father Time's undefeated, you know. Some of these guys don't really realize that, but 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 it is. And when I left wrestling, I was, I was yeah, I still wanted to do it, but my body wouldn't let me do it. And I always thought it'd be best to be remembered as I was, not as I am. And uh, when I left wrestling, I was I was I was sad that it had all come to an end for me. Uh, but you know, I knew it was time to move on. I've I've completed that in the. My uh, my life uh, in that chapter of my life, and it's time to move on and you know seek other other interests and and other professions and and that's what I did. So, uh, but I, you know, there's not a day that doesn't go by that you know I wished I was on a plane somewhere to going to San Francisco to wrestle at the Cow Palace or flying to Los Angeles to wrestle at the Forum or flying to Boston to wrestle at the old Boston Garden. Always loved New York and doing Madison Square Garden. That was on my bucket list of things to do. I was at WrestleMania 9, WrestleMania 10. I was a standby match. Uh, and those, and those, uh, you know, so you're sitting there and you're dressed out and you're ready to go and you're just, you know, you're basically your own call. You know, like you're fire, you know, you're, you're a fireman. You know, you might, you know, if the fire happens, you're on duty. If it doesn't, you're just sitting around. But I was hoping at some point, yeah, go go have a match. We need to set the lights or we need to get the sound right or you know, although I didn't get to wrestle, still got paid for those those events. I got to be there. Um uh, got to take my parents and my fiance at the time to uh, WrestleMania nine. And uh they got to for the first time see uh me and, and, and the big production of what was WrestleMania and you know, because my parents looked at it and see you on TV and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. But when they got to see it in person and saw actually what a big deal it was, my dad told me, he said, you know, this is kind of a big deal. <laughs> and uh, so that was, that was I guess that got their approval uh, when, uh, when, when they went and saw a, a big live event from WWF back then, uh, see uh what what grandeur and pageantry that came with uh Vince McMahon's company and, and I got to play a very minute role in it. However, it was, you know, story of a lifetime to be able to do some of that stuff. Are you tired a lot? Frustrated that no matter what you do you can't seem to keep your energy levels up during the day? The problem may be how you're sleeping. There's a difference between how long you sleep for and the quality of sleep that you're getting. If you want to increase your energy, performance, alertness, and productivity, stop reaching for the energy drinks and focus on quality REM sleep with Recovery PM. Poor quality sleep is directly linked to health problems like obesity, low testosterone levels, and high blood pressure. And worst of all, the World Health Organization has recognized sleep deprivation as a carcinogen. Not getting adequate enough sleep can definitely increase the risk of cancer. Did you know that 30% of people between the ages of 20 and 39 years old reported difficulty sleeping, but only 4% have tried an actual sleep aid? 
If you're finding yourself hitting a midday slump and using energy drinks to perk up during the day, you're only making things worse in the long run. Upgrade to Recovery PM and you'll be amazed how you feel. Recovery PM is now available at LegacySupps.com. Use the promo code POWERTRIP and you'll get 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP to get 10% off that entire order. Do not sleep on your health. Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is sponsored by Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. It's 2021. Get rid of the cigarettes, unplug the vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy Nicotine gum or lozenges. Folks, this is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your house each month. So it's simple, and you don't have to leave the house because Lucy has delivery down. Two-man power trip of wrestling listeners. Go to lucy.co and use promo code POWERTRIP to get 20% off all products, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co and use promo code POWERTRIP at checkout. Also, I have to give you this disclaimer, a warning, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical, so go to lucy.co and make sure to use that promo code POWERTRIP like my brother-in-law does. He really, really has switched from cigarettes to Lucy, so it is just an unbelievable thing for me to promote this stuff to you. One more time, lucy.co. Make sure to use the promo code power trip when you actually first get into the wwf i guess it's the late 80s how does that come about like do they recruit you in and how do you kind of get in at that point well i had uh, told the story a couple of times but uh you know i knew when i got into wrestling um I wanted to go to WWF. That's where I wanted to go. I felt like that was, at the time, I felt like that was the major leagues of professional wrestling and and anything less, you know, it just wasn't going to fulfill what my dreams were. So I started out, um, uh, Tojo had trained me and, and put me on basically every small podunk uh, card from here to Florida and, um, you know, I'm wrestling in front of 10 people. One night might be 150, and one night might be 1,000, and next night might be 12. You know, you just, it's that up and down of, you know, here I am. All right, just work on getting better, work on getting better. So I saw where the WWF was coming to Nashville, and they was going to have professional wrestling at the old municipal auditorium. That's where all that, that was the the the, the venue in Nashville that they held, like, uh, indoor events. And, um, so, uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to put on a suit. I'm going to get some photos and I'm going to take them down there and I'm going to show them to Vince McMahon and he's going to hire me. And so mentally I told myself this. And so, uh, I, I go home that afternoon. I put on a suit and tie, grab a port, grab my portfolio of wrestling photos. And here I go. So I go down there and I get there a little bit early because, you know, I kind of figure, well, when the event starts, 
he's not you know he's not going to be available to talk to anybody, right? So, and I think I'm probably about nineteen, twenty years old, right? No one told me that I was crazy for doing this or an idiot or anything. I just kind of kept this to myself. I didn't really want this to get out because I thought, well, if it goes wrong, I'm not going to be that big of an idiot to everybody. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. right. I drive I drive down there and. I see all the wrestlers going in the back door, and so I grabbed my, I grabbed a bag. You know, I had my wrestling gear in it. I grabbed my portfolio, and here I go walking down through there, and I've got a three-piece suit on, and I get to the door, and the security guy stops me. He goes, yeah, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm here to talk to Vince McMahon. And he said, uh, well, Vince McMahon's not seeing anybody. Take a hike, Spike. And... uh and so I was just dejected right there at the door. I couldn't even get past security. And I, so I go back to my car, and I'm sitting there dejected thinking, well, golly, I can't even this, – the security guy doesn't even think I'm a wrestler, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I sit there for a minute, and there was an old FedEx box sitting in the in the front seat of the car. And we had had a package delivered to our shop that day, and – of course, we'd gotten the contents out, but I had the old box sitting there in the front seat of the car for some reason. And then I got to thinking, well, if I hold the box kind of this way, a certain way, it looks like it's still sealed up. So I grab the box, I go to another door, banging on the door. Security guy comes to the door, different security guy. He says, yeah, can I help you? I said, hey, I got a FedEx delivery for Vince McMahon. He goes, well, give it to me, I'll give it to him. I go, no, 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 he's got a sign for it. So here I am, suit, holding a half-open FedEx box, telling this guy that Vincent McMahon has to sign for So I don't even have a clipboard in my hand or nothing. And he goes, uh, all right, well, come on in. So, boom, I get in, I ditch the box, and now I'm, I'm on the hunt looking for Vincent McMahon. So I get back there, and a couple of guys looked like they knew what they were doing. Uh, I asked them, I said, hey, I said, I want to talk with Vincent McMahon about getting a job. When's he going to be coming around here? So one of the guys was one of the road agents, and he says, well, hang on, kid. Let me, I'm going to let you talk to this guy over here. So I go talk to whoever it was they sent me to, and he said, well, let me send you over here. And so they, they're passing me around to talk, to, you know, so I just feel like I'm getting the run around. So finally this one guy comes up to me, and he says, yes, sir, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm here to talk to Vincent McMahon about getting a job. And all I'm getting is a runaround around here. I said, is that, I said, is that how you guys do business? <laughs> and here I am. Nobody is nothing. <laughs> and uh, the guy said, uh, well, let me ask you, how long have you been wrestling? I said, two years. Which I kind of fudged a little bit. I've been wrestling about a year. And uh, he said, uh, well, who trained you? I said, Tojo Yamamoto trained me. And the guy said, really? I said, yeah. He says, well, it just so happens Tojo used to be my roommate in Canada in the 60s. And I said, hmm. oh, okay. So then he proceeds to ask me a couple of questions that would pretty much determine if I was, you know, full of bull, if I was really legit. And he asked me a few questions, and I answered them, and he raised his eyebrow. He says, kid, can you be in Bristol, Tennessee tomorrow night? I said, yes, sir, I'll be there. So he says, okay. You know, he says, be there by 2 o'clock. He says, we'll feed you. You know, go over the match and everything, and we'll see what you can do. So, man, I leave out of there. You want to talk about somebody that's on cloud nine? I said I was going to walk in, get a job. Didn't get a job, but I got an opportunity, which, you know, I was just as happy about. So I go home, pack up. Next morning, 
get in the car. I called my best friend. He wasn't working at the time. Chip, called my friend Chip Carroll. We grew up together. I said, Chip, you never will guess. I said, I'm going to wrestle for WWF tonight. I said, you got to come over and help me drive to Bristol. <laughs> so he comes over. And we hop in the car, and bang, we head out to Bristol, Tennessee. So there, sure enough, about 2 o'clock, I go back there. And they said, hey, look here, kid, get you something to eat. And about 6 o'clock, I'm going to introduce you to your opponent. We'll go over what you're going to do, and we'll see what you can do. I said, yes, sir. So uh, sure enough, I went back here at 8. And um, 6 o'clock, here they come. And he's uh, he brings uh, Ray Hernandez come talk to me about our match, Hercules Hernandez, who was at the time being managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. So this was in Bristol, Tennessee, Viking Hall. So I'm uh, standing, you know, so I go over, and he's such a nice guy. He said, okay, kid, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. He goes, is there anything hurting you that's bothering you, you know, we don't want to do? I said, no, I feel great, you know. So sure enough, so bang, so I'm, you know, I'm in the ring, and butterflies hit. You know, I mean, I felt so nauseous, like I just wanted to just throw up. You know, <laughs> you finally, you're, you've dreamed of this point. You've laid there in bed many, many nights just trying to envision what it would be like to be F ring. You know, the smell of the popcorn, the sound of the music, just the the, the, the air, you know, that, that that's in the building. Hearing the, the, the announcer, you know, over the loudspeaker, you know, making his way from, you know, just the just all the pageantry that goes into finally getting to that point. Well, there I was, and it was getting ready to happen. And so then all of a sudden, they pull the curtain back, put the spotlight on, on the curtain, and here comes Ray Hernandez coming out of the curtain. Got a chain wrapped around his neck. He's got foam coming out of his mouth, sweats glistening, his veins are pumping. And I thought right then and there, I have made the greatest mistake of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so he comes coming down. He comes to, down to the ring and, you know, proceeds to get in the ring. And then he and I proceed to have the match. And uh, he hit me with a clothesline. I've never been hit that hard in my whole entire life. I mean, I, I, I've always kind of pride myself on being a, a pretty, you know, tough individual. But he hit me so hard. I mean, like, he hit me with a clothesline. I felt like my soul just kept going. <laughs> it just knocked it right out of my body. And so uh, uh, we finished the match. He puts me in a backbreaker. And, and when, he, when he hit me with the clothesline, I hit my head on the on the canvas and about knocked myself out. So I'm about three-quarters goofy in the match after that part of the the. The, the, the match. So I'm sitting back. So the match is over with. Referee rolls me out and helps me to the back. And I'm just sitting there in the chair, just feeling violated. <laughs> you know, I just felt, oh my God, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. You know, if this, if this is what I got to do every night, I don't think I could do it. And so Ray comes back to the curtain and he goes, kid, how are you doing? And I, you know, just out of shock, I just, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, and he says, well, kid, if you can survive that, I've got to hire you. And Bobby Heenan patted me on the head. He says, good job, kid. We'll see you around. And uh, they came up to me, and they said, can you be in Winston-Salem the next night? I said, yes, sir. And so we get in the car, and we're driving to Winston-Salem. My buddy says, well, you think you got a job? I said, I don't know. They asked if we can go to Winston-Salem tomorrow night. 
So, yeah, so we went to Winston-Salem. Next night, I had outlaw Ron Bass, who's rough and tough Texan, about 6'3", 320 pounds, you know, just mean, ornery, loud, you know, Texan. And uh, I got in there, and he was just like a feather the whole entire night. And uh, had just a very easy match with him. And uh, just, I mean, it was just like I was a, a baby, and he was just laying me down in the cradle. It was so easy. And then I, when he was pinning me, he says, welcome to the company, kid. And I knew I had a job. And so they sent me home for a couple of weeks, sent me a booking sheet, and then, bang, on the road I went. And first place they sent me to was St. Louis. And um, I land there. They said, get, you know, land in St. Louis, get a rental car, and drive to uh, Springfield, Illinois, which wasn't too far away. So I land, I go to the rental car counter. I said, yeah, I'd like to rent a car. Okay, let me see your ID. Show my ID. And this is this, this is so far back that pictures weren't even on IDs back then. <laughs> so I, I showed them my ID, and they said, well, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? They said, you're not old enough to rent a car. I go, what do you mean? you got to be a certain age. I said, i got a driver's license. They said, no, you got to be 25. I think I was, like I said, 19 or 20. So here I am, first day on the job, and I'm panicked. Because I've got to go from St. Louis to Springfield, and I've only got a certain amount of time to do it in. So I call the WWF office, 203-352-8606, talent relations. Still remember the number. Uh, And so I call them up, and I said, um, hey, this Reno Riggins, I'm in St. Louis. Flight was great. However, they won't rent me a car. What do I do? (laughs) And so she said, okay, go down to Gate 8, Terry Taylor, and I think – Ron, uh, uh, Ronnie Garvin, like it was. Yeah, it was Ronnie Garvin. Um, says, uh, they're landing. Um, you know, tell them who you are and get in the car with them, ride with them for the, for the loop. So I go and meet them. And, um, you know, first, you know, Ronnie Garvin thinks I'm a, a wrestling fan trying to get an autograph. You know, I said, hello, Mr. Garvin. He goes, yeah, what do you want me to sign, kid? <laughs> I said, no, sir. No, sir. I want the card tonight. <laughs> he said, uh, uh, oh, oh, okay. I said, well, they won't rent me a car. And the office told me, asked me to come in here and ask if I could ride with you guys. And they said, yeah, sure. They said, let me ask you, you have a valid driver's license? I says, yes, sir. He says, he looked over at Terry Taylor, and he says, hey, we found our driver. And so <laughs> I, I drove those guys around forever, you know, which was a lot of fun, learned a lot of stuff, and and a couple of great guys. I owe them a lot of, a lot of gratitude. And they were, they were so nice to me, which – some guys see a young guy in the business, and not to say that they didn't have liberties and, and and have some fun with me and rid me and stuff like that. But I mean, it wasn't nothing mean, and it was it was all in good, great fun because I trusted those guys. They were they were they were really really, really good guys, and um, and so you know it was it was just like you know everything that every door that could get slammed in my face, be a little bit patient, and then later on it would open up for me. And so that's how I, I kind of got started, WWF. And when I first, you know, was wrestling with those guys, I mean, I was I was in some butcher matches. I mean, I'm wrestling guys that just, oh, they were not very, they're very big, not very talented. And because at the time that was the big man territory, and I was a good size, I was a good throwing weight, you know, for those guys. And so, but what I did was, you know, over the course of time. Uh, get better 
at what I could do and, and learn more and listen, listen to guys that I um, really admired and thought that they were really, really good and saw how they went about their business and kind of emulated those things. And three, three, about three years later, three, four years later, is when I was starting to get asked by certain talent, you know, that, hey, I'm going to go see if I can get your match changed and you're going to wrestle with me 12-minute cable match tonight. Do you, do you care to do that? And for me, I just knew that that was a way for me to kind of show off my wares at the time of what I could do. You know, I could go out there with, and no offense to any of these guys because they're all great guys, but for me at that time, I was a little limited in what I could do with some of those guys. Like I, I'd wrestle guys like Mabel, and, and I love Mabel to death, God rest his soul. He's a real good friend of mine. But I was very limited to the match I could have with him versus what I could have with Kurt Henning or the match that I could have with a Tatanka uh, or Owen Hart, you know, talk about some of those guys. And so I always prided myself. Growing up, I was really a fan of, uh, of course, Memphis wrestling, but I was also a fan of the NWA wrestling, Georgia Championship wrestling, because I felt like that was, it was treated more like a legitimate sport. And I think that's the, the thing that really turned my key to be able to really want to pursue that because I felt like that was more my style. You know, I'm, I'm not six foot nine, never going to be six foot nine. So I better figure out other, you know, uh, trips and, and tickles and, and things that I could do that would kind of, uh, kind of complement uh, my repertoire of what I could do in the ring. And so that was more my style. And so I always enjoyed Georgia Championship Wrestling and watching watching those those matches and that style of wrestling more so than the WWF at that time. Now later on, of course, through time, you know that that has changed a bit, it's given more of the athletic wrestler uh, an opportunity to showcase his wares, which I would love to be a wrestler in today's climate because it seems like that that is more of what is. The, the more popular style than just six foot nine versus seven foot and punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick. You know, I like to see what a lot of guys can do these days, although I don't watch the product. Uh, I've, like I said, I've seen it. I've got two sons, so if I'm walking through a room and that's what they've got on, I'll catch a glimpse of it, but I won't sit there and watch a full full broadcast. But, you know, it's I think it's great. You know, it's a different era, it's a different, different time. You know, you know the songs that are out today, you know, may have never, you know, flew 30 years ago, and songs that were hot 30 years ago probably couldn't take off today. It's just different era that we live in is all it is. Now, that's just an amazing story of how like, you got into the WWF and kept the ball rolling and still worked with WWF. I mean, I'm sure no one else has a story quite like that of as far as breaking into WBF like that. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those, you know, and I look back at that, that, that night and car being dejected by the security guy. And I think a lot of people in life will take that and accept that. And I don't know, you know, for some reason, something spoke to me and said, You can't you can't stop here. You can't 
You can't let someone that doesn't have authority over you determine your future. And, you know, I kind of thought about that for a second. And now Vince McMahon would have said, listen, you'll never wrestle here. You're the worst ever. You stink. Don't know why you showed up. You know, and I'll probably have to look, have a log hard look at the mirror and say, you know, well, that's the head of the industry telling you this, you know. Uh, but this is a guy, you know, you know, nothing, no disrespect to any security guy, though. Uh, they, you know, but but this guy didn't have, he didn't he didn't have my future in his hands, and so I thought I'm not going to allow that to happen. And so I, something just spoke to me to keep trying until you either get thrown out physically, or you know, or or, or, or your demands are met, and. And by the grace of God, uh, you know, it, it just, it just, it just happened. And then after that, just one thing after another, just kind of just fell into into play. And I just, you know, I, I, my goal when I went there wasn't to, hey, I'm going to be, I want to be the world champion, or I'm going to be the intercontinental champion. One, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old. I just wanted a job. And I wanted a, a job in an industry that I loved, although I didn't know all the ins and outs about it. I didn't, you know, didn't need to know all. I just needed to know enough just to get me through the next day. And you just learn on the way. A lot of times, you know, people think it's the destination that makes them happy. A lot of times they get to the destination that they're trying to get to and then find, you know, that they're not fulfilled with that. What is fulfilling is the journey that you take. You know, have a have a goal, have a destination in mind, but enjoy the journey because the, the the journey is the one that's going to give you the stories, it's going to give you the memories, it's going to give you the ups, it's going to give you the downs. You know, if you don't have the downs, you can't have the ups. So, you know, when when the downs happen, just know, hey, the, the ups are right around the corner. Um, so I tell my kids. You know, uh, you know, just just take it day by day. You know, don't get too high, don't get too low. Try to stay in the middle and stay focused on where you're trying to get to. And and that's what I did. Um, fortunately, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of unsavory things that could happen to a lot of young people in that industry. At that time, was pretty rough. But I, you know, I. I Fortunate enough, I had good support at home from my parents. Um, my parents taught me right from wrong. Uh, not to say that I'm not an angel or anything like that, because I'm not. You know, everybody on this planet has done something they regretted or made bad decisions. You know, but fortunately for me, I, I you know, because I, I had friends of mine that are no longer here just simply by the decisions that they made. And that's unfortunate because, you know, there were some great people. And, and that's kind of sad about our industry. I, I've, I've spoke on another subject um, once was someone had asked me the question, why do I feel like a lot of professional wrestlers pass away at an early age? Uh, I'm 54 now. And I tell you what, I'm my, my <laughs> one of my biggest fights in my life was to get out of my 40s. You know, I thought there's so many wrestlers that die in their 40s and 30s. I thought, my goodness, if you know. And so what happens is, then just you know, just just try to 
play along with me on this for a second if you can. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, think about this as your job. Every night you go out and you have 10,000 people either cheering your name to the highest of heights or you have them booing you to the lowest of lows and you've created their emotional reaction to you, to your presence or some of the actions that you do in the ring with another performer. And when you're really good at that and you can kind of play that, um, play with the fans of motions um, to have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, that is, that is almost like a Picasso making a painting or, you know, a, a Mozart, you know, a symphony. It is such a high of creativity that one gets by doing that. But here's the thing, like I said, Father Time is undefeated. So when we leave, you know, being in front of, wrestling in front of 15,000, 10,000, 20,000 people, and now you're wrestling in front of 40, 50, 100, or whatever the case may be, that rust that you normally got is no longer there. So I feel like a lot of guys, when they leave that, when their run is over and they're, you know, on the the fourth quarter of their career and it's the two-minute warning and time is running out for them, I think a lot of those guys turn to drugs and alcohol. Not all, but the ones that are, you know, unfortunately not with us anymore and if that had been the case with them, that turn to drugs and alcohol because they're looking for something to replace that high that they used to get every night when that bell would ring for them to, that music would play and they go down that aisle and that spotlight hits them and, you know, that, that, that charge that you would get. Here I was when I was wrestling with him just as an enhancement talent. But when I go down that aisle, when I would go down that aisle, you want to talk about talking about being just king of the world at that point. You are king of the world at that point. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's not a, there, there's not a, I mean, if, if, if someone says, hey, I'm going to give you a million bucks, you know, that's pretty exciting. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't come close to that for some reason, for some reason. And, um, for, you know, and unfortunately when those guys, when that, they can't, get that rush anymore, they turn to other things, I feel, to try to substitute that, um, trying try to get that rush. Uh, and sometimes drugs and alcohol kind of masks the pain of not getting your emotional rush from that anymore as well. So, yeah, I, I think that is, you know, something that hopefully – be addressed by someone a whole lot smarter than myself and kind of figure some of that out so we don't lose, you know, anymore. I think I had heard that they do a little bit better job with the, the travel, with the, the the guys that wrestle there now. They're not, their schedules aren't near as grueling or physically as taxing on the body um, as it was back then because I just remember you know, I mean, I'm sure you've always heard people say, I woke up in a hotel room. I didn't even know what town I was in. I didn't know what city I was in. And, I, you know, I would hear that growing up. You know, people say stuff like that. And I'm going, well, they're out of their mind. How do you not know what city you're in? How do you know? 
Well, it happened to me. <laughs> and it just happened to me, not because I was hung over or anything like that. It happened to me because just of the grueling travel. You know, I think I was in Cleveland one time, and I woke up, and I'm laying there, and my eyes open, you know, and I'm just laying there looking up at the ceiling. And then I just went, I have no, I have no idea what city I'm in right now. And I had to look at the – back then, they had phone books in the hotel rooms, and I had to look at the phone book, you know, tell me what city I was in. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a different – Different world we live in now. I'm glad that their schedules aren't as grueling because back then WWF was more of a touring company, whereas now it's more of a media-driven company. Back then, you know, you're on the road getting after it every night, you know, and that's the reason guys that was on the road wrestling every night didn't have to sit down in the locker room and and talk for three hours about a 15-minute match. Because I had wrestled this guy for this whole month, you know, we've pretty much got our match down past. We might change a little something here and there to enhance it a little bit. But other than that, okay, see you out there. And I think in the way things are kind of ran today, I think most guys will, which I don't blame them either. They, they didn't have maybe have that opportunity that, that we had. But I like the fact that they take so much pride in it that they, they want to get it right and they want to get, get it perfect. But there's another thing, too, to just, okay, I'll see you out there. Because you go out there and you've got all this stuff laid out and the people are just sitting on their hands and not buying what you're doing, then you've got to call an audible. And if you're not used to doing that, that can be disastrous. And so it's good to be able to, hey, what's this crowd reacting to? How is this going? How, you just listen to the crowd, and it's it's kind of driving what you're going to do next, you know. Uh, that that sound, that excitement that they give off actually would kind of feed, you know, your match, you know. And so, and I think, you know, you get a good hot crowd and you get two pretty talented guys out there and they're going to go out there, they're going to bust their butts to give you all that they've got uh, to create a, a masterpiece for you, you know. But on the flip side of that, if you choreograph just every move right down to, getting inside the ring, then it becomes a little bit homogenized. It becomes a little bit too, uh, it, it's not organic, you know, if you can follow me on that a little bit. Yep, absolutely. And, and so, and I'm just, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be, because I don't want to be one of the older guys that sit around bash any other current guys or, or any of that, because like I said, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different industry. It's a whole different setup, you know. And so I, I don't want to be critical of, of any anybody today, but it just try to explain a little bit of the differences of some of the things that we had to do and overcome back then versus some of the things that they do and have to overcome today. Now, as far as, like, when you were in WBF, were you also wrestling in WCW at the same time? And did it not matter that you did both? It didn't matter. <laughs> well, it, it didn't matter to them at the time because they weren't uh, fully committed to 
they 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 what had happened was is that they had a um taken me off the road for a little bit and I don't think it was anything that I had done wrong or anything like that. I think it was just they was loading up with some other other guys and was trying to get them, you know, the dates. And so they had uh, cut cut my dates back. And I says, and I asked the office too. I said, so by you guys cutting my dates back, I said, am I free to also seek bookings from other companies? And they says, well, sure. You know, because at that time, you know, you had WWF, you had USWA in Memphis. I think you had, uh, you still had some smaller territories and smaller promotions um, going at the time. So if I wanted to go to Portland and wrestle for Don Owens Wrestling up there or Calgary Stampede or if I wanted to go to some of these other places, um, they said, yeah, you could do that. Well, a friend of uh, mine and said, um, hey, I heard that they were cutting back on some dates. Are you one of the guys? I said, yeah. He said, do you want to come work at WCW? And and I think the way that this had worked out, because <laughs> I think WCW was, because uh, I remember one time just really, Filling my dance card, my booking sheet, I call it the dance card. Uh, filling my dance card pretty full with, I think I was doing WWF like on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So, yeah. And then they would fly me back to Nashville. Where I was ever at, they would fly me back to Nashville. Um, Wednesday morning, and and then I would go do WCW Wednesdays and Thursdays, or was it Tuesdays and Wednesdays? It may have been Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Anyway, I just remember them flying me back to Nashville and hopping in a car with Barry Horowitz and Tracy Smothers and driving to Atlanta to go do WCW TV, and I would do WCW TV for those two nights, and then back again on Friday, I'm back out on the loop again, you know, with WWF. And this happened for a pretty good bit. Um, now, some, some dates were spot, you know, I'd have a day off here and there, you know. But um, there for a while, it was just like, you know, going out of one company into the next company. And so my buddy, who's one of my good friends, and he was a, he was a big wrestling fan as well and he uh, like back then you would do superstars and wrestling challenge i think one came on saturday one came on sunday wcw i think had a syndicated show or is it w- nwa or i think it was wcw at the time they had a syndicated show that was it was on superstation tbs and so so anyway he counted he counted up i think there was eight shows that broadcast over the weekend and i was on all eight shows and so he said, he said, you had eight matches this weekend. He said, you had more airtime than Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair combined. <laughs> wow. You know, and uh, so <laughs> I thought that was, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> Amazing. But, Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
No, it was it was a uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun, and I liked wrestling. And I and, and I really enjoyed WCW. My very first day down there, I go back there and I meet uh, this guy. His name is Jody Hamilton. And I don't know if you know who Jody Hamilton. Oh yeah, I interviewed him before. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, legend. Yeah, right. So I go, but I, you know, like I said, I grew up watching wrestling, enjoyed wrestling, you know. And I'd say I was a casual fan, you know. I, I, I wasn't an every Saturday night at the fairgrounds, you know, got to got to get my ticket or whatever, because I played a lot of sports growing up as a kid. And uh, but you know, whenever wrestling was on, I always enjoyed sitting and watching it, and I always kind of kept up with it a little bit, you know. And uh, so one of my favorite wrestlers watching George Champions Wrestling was the Assassins. And the thing that got me with the Assassins was I always enjoyed their interviews, you know, because I, I never really liked the guys that got out there and they were just basically, I always said there's a difference between doing an interview and doing a promo. And some guys, you know, to this day who are, on the Mount Rushmore's of wrestling, they don't know the difference between the two. They far, well, I guess they know more than I, I did. You know, they got further than I did. But, but they don't. You know, the difference between because I always loved hearing the assassin talk because I thought, you know, he sounds like he's going to really go out there and destroy this guy this weekend, uh, rather than getting out there and just, you know, just hollering and screaming and caring. Those interviews never really did much for me. But the guy that sit there and you know, just basically told you, I'm going to come tear you up Saturday night, and there's not a doggone thing you can do about it. Those those are the ones I thought, you know what, that guy's serious as can be. You know, that guy's serious as a heart attack right there. So, anyway, I, I go in the locker room. They introduce me to Jody Hamilton. Hey, how you doing, Jody? And Jody introduces himself. I said, hello, I'm Reno Riggins. He says, kid, I hear you pretty good. I said, well, I said, uh, I appreciate that. I said, I don't know about that just yet, but. And he says, well, look, he goes, we're going to put you in a match with Flair tonight. We'll, we'll see how good you are. <laughs> okay. And so uh, so my very first match at WCW was against Ric Flair. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Now, no pressure? Uh, yeah, yeah, no pressure at all. No pressure at all. Uh, which was, which was golly. <laughs> Rick could have took a broomstick out there and basically, <laughs> you know, had the, had the same match, you know, but it was, it was great to, uh, be in the same ring with, with Flair and I always admired him, um, from the time I was young, young man to actually, you know, being in the ring with him. And, and he was great. He was great to work with. It was, it was nice and easy, but get back to my Jody Hamilton story. So I'm sitting back there and I'm talking to him and, you know, but I'm going, where, where have I met this guy at before? I've never seen this guy, but his voice sounds so familiar. So I'm sitting back there, and I think I'm talking to Jimmy Cornette or somebody like that. And uh, and I go, that Jody Hamilton guy, he's a pretty nice guy, but I said, well, why do I know him? And, you know, he, he smartened me up to who he was. Well, I just marked out then, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I feel like such an idiot. I feel like such an idiot, <laughs> you know. But uh, those are kind of the things that happen with a young wrestler, you know, getting in the world of professional wrestling and then seeing guys that you had seen on television for years and then actually getting to see them for the very first time. You know, it's 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 pretty cool. And uh, so I, I actually, you know, back then during that time, I had a pretty good relationship with Jody Hamilton, and he always put me in really good good matches. Um, you know, got to work with Midnight Express 
quite a bit. I think works with Rock and Roll Express and uh who else do I wrestle down to there? Oh golly. Hey Buddy Wendell and Barry uh, Wyndham. Barry Wyndham, yeah. So, he was the uh I worked I wrestled him at WW I mean WCW there and then a few months later when he had made the switch to WWF, I wrestled, I think I wrestled one of his first T V matches up in WWF. So you know, he he was a great guy. Loved him. Man, what a talent. What a talent. Um but you know, it just you know, those are the kind of things that kinda of goes through a young wrestler's uh head and mind when you're, you know, doing what you're doing or trying to trying to find your way in this in this wrestling business, you know. It was it was pretty cool. It was a good run. A lot of fun. And it's pretty cool though, like you know, let's say you're not working WBF or not WW, then you're still traveling, getting booked all over, right? Smoky Mountain, USWA, Global. I mean you were really, really keeping busy. Yeah, yeah. You know, um uh, uh Jim Cornette uh started uh Smoky Mountain wrestling and one of my good friends who actually got me hired on at USWA uh when I was you know, taking bookings here, there, and everywhere, uh, it was Dutch Mantel. And uh, Dutch told uh, uh, Jim Cornette, he said, uh, he said, you know, you might want to bring uh, Reno in. He's a good, good undercard baby face for you and dependable and, you know, be here and work hard. And Plus, he says, give me somebody I can stand to ride with. <laughs> mm. So uh, those are some, those are some great, times because of course we're Dutch and I were both living in Nashville and we would drive over to East Tennessee and those were some of the best times the times that I was in the car with Dutch Mantel going to Memphis when we was working for USWA and going to Smoky Mountain Wrestling and all the the places up and down yonder way with that with Dutch Mantel those were some of the best highlights or some of the best times of being a pro wrestler and sitting there firsthand listening to Dutch Mantel, listening to his stories in the car. Because he, I mean, uh, a, a drive from Nashville, Tennessee to Memphis is roughly about four hours. And you get in the car with Dutch, it seems like it's about 30 minutes because he he is so well-read, so well-versed in the world, and can talk many other subjects just besides wrestling. Some guys, you get in a car with them, and that's all they can talk about. That's their whole entire world is the world of professional wrestling. And, you know, if that's what you're doing, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But, um, like I said, Dutch, he, he could talk sports. He could talk politics. He could talk economy. He could, he could, he, and he was fun to talk with because it started to broaden my mind. The Dutch is a little older than me at the time, but it started to broaden my mind, not just not being in the world of professional wrestling, but being in the world of business and being in the world of and being a human, not just pro wrestler and what, what moves I'm going to be doing that night, you know? So, and he was always such, he was such a lot of fun and very entertaining and funny. And uh, he holds a very special place in my heart as uh, not just a friend, but just, uh, just a great human, you know, if people that, People that know Dutch and have come in contact with Dutch, I feel like 
have really been touched by somebody special. He's he's a special individual, and golly, I can't say enough about him. Don't get to talk to him enough. Uh, you know, he does all the podcasts and all that stuff now, but he's a, he's a great he's a great person, and, and I like Dutch a lot. But my time riding Smoky Mountain wrestling with Dutch was, like I said, some some of the best times ever. And uh, so then I wrestled global wrestling uh, for a little bit. Did a few uh, stints down there, and uh, did a USO tour for a company out of the Carolinas called World Wrestling Alliance. It was owned by a guy named Slim Balkum, and uh, he got lined up to do uh, entertainment for the for the U.S. troops in places like Germany and Diego Garcia and uh, Singapore and uh, Seoul, Korea, and I went and did some of those and. A uh, matter of fact, we're uh, me and my old wrestling partner uh, Stephen Dunn, who was part of the Well Done team with uh, Timothy Wells, Rex King. Uh, they wrestled in WWF for a while, and uh, they uh, when they when their team split up, and Steve and I we started a tag team here locally, and uh, we wrestled for a company called Music City Wrestling. And uh, had some success there. I think we were six-time NWA World Tag Champs. Uh, at least that was the, the the label they gave us. And uh, then we went to Saudi Arabia and wrestled uh, the Rock and Roll Express for the world title. And um, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson had wrestled those guys many a times. And two, uh, two of the most... Uh, uh, Outstanding talents, you know those those two guys are on the Mount and they're on my Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling, and uh, just great great people as well. Always enjoyed my time with those guys as well. Can't say enough good things. I uh, will say this: just a quick story about Ricky Morton. My son, my youngest son, was playing in a little league baseball tournament in Greenville, Tennessee which is far east Tennessee over close to Bristol, Tennessee. And uh, so, you know, they, they would play a game and then, you know, to wait around all day long before they played again or play the next day. So I just thought I'd go kill some time. I'll go down here to the local barbershop and get a haircut, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the guy and I'm, he's cutting my hair. And uh, and he was asking me who, what all teams are in the, in the ball tournament, you know. And I says, well, they got teams from here, there, and – I said, this, uh, he said, who y'all play next? I said, we're supposed to play a team out of uh, 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 Morristown, Tennessee. I said, no friend of mine's from Morristown, a guy named White Lightning, Tim Horner, the pro wrestler. Hmm. I, said, yeah. I, said, I said, you ever hear of him? He goes, nah, never heard of that guy. But he says, we got a big-time pro wrestler lives here in, in Greenville. And I said, what? Because <laughs> I, I didn't tell the guy that I wrestled or anything. I was just... You know, I was just mentioning Tim Horner's name. And uh, I said, so y'all got a pro wrestler who lives here in Greenville? I'm figuring he's going to tell me the the mask demon or some, some local guy or something, you know. And uh, I said, well, who you got that's so famous that's a pro wrestler here in Greenville, Tennessee, a population of about two, you know. And he says, Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. I said, what? And this is about three years ago, I said, Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express lives here in Greenfield, Tennessee. He goes, yeah, he's got a wrestling school just two miles up the road. 
I said, where is that at? So I Google it, sure enough. So I leave the barbershop, I drive down there, right? And uh, they were closed that day, but they were going to be open the next day, right? So I go back, and uh, uh, my and I've got an older son who, who's 18 who's wanting to pursue uh, professional wrestling. And, of course, I told him I would help him do that once he got out of college. <laughs> you see how I hold that over his head there, right? Yes. So uh, I said, yeah, once you get out of college, I'll, yeah, I'll be glad to make the calls. I'll be glad to do this, do that. But uh, not until we, we get through school, right? So I, so he, he's with me as well. So I swung by the hotel and pick him up. And I said, hey, we're going to go up the street here. i got to go, you know, get a... I'll get some get some cleats for your brother or something, you know. So I don't tell him, you know, where we're going. So we go we go to Ricky Morton's wrestling school, School of Morton. And so we pull up and he sees that over there and he goes, What's this? And I said, Well, I don't know if it's an old friend of mine, right? So when we walk in and Ricky's got about twenty kids up in the ring, you know, working out. And he has he this this looked like this this man and, and his son his son looked to be early 20s. You know, they walked in right before we did. So Ricky, he's putting the sales pitch on these people. You know, or not sales pitch. He's explaining what they do there and if it might fit in with them. And, you know, so Ricky thinks he's got another, you know, customer right behind him. You know, he looks at me and he goes, sir, I'll be with you in one moment. Well, Ricky probably hadn't seen me in 20 years, you know, and I've got all the glasses now and I'm wearing, i got a beard. He's never seen me with a beard and stuff. And so he looks up and he goes, uh, yes, sir, how can I help you here? Your, your boy here wanting to wrestle? I said, let me tell you something, punk. I, when I told him that right there, his eyes got real big and he looked at me and he went, Reno, is that you? I said, yes, <laughs> And so he had me get in the ring with all the students that day and, and do the class. I had to teach the class that day, which was, which was a lot of fun. Um, cause it was, uh, you know, like I said, I, I don't, I don't, uh, do many interviews, and I don't watch much wrestling, and I, I don't get to see my old friends much anymore. But but that was fun. We had a great afternoon sharing that time together, and being together in the ring, and sharing a little bit of knowledge that I may have with with some of these other young guys, and hopefully they can uh, benefit from you know what, what we did that day, and. Uh, but no, it was that was fun just to to pop in on Ricky Ricky Morton like that and see him and my son thoroughly appreciated it very much so so that, that is fun. that is awesome catching up with the legend himself uh, Ricky Morton very very cool stuff but as we hit the wind down head towards the finish if you think about your just let's just say WWF run basically ten years or more of kind of going back and forth with the WWF. He said, you know, you wrestled so many guys. I mean, we mentioned a ton with the Razor Ramones, the, uh, the Owen Hearts, Mr. Perfect, so many guys. Do you have some favorite matches? Not the only WWF, because obviously, you know, you wrestled Smoky Mountain, USWA, Global, WCW, yeah. NWA, Music City, I mean, everywhere, CWA. Do you have some favorite matches or favorite opponents, or is that uh, hard to say? It, it, you know, it's, it's really it's hard to say because I had so many great people that I was fortunate enough to perform with. Uh, a couple of names that I like to throw out that I, you know, I, every, you know, I, being in the ring with Flair was, was, you know, uh, pretty, pretty special for me, I guess, as a, as a kid that, 
grew up watching pro wrestling, if you didn't know who Ric Flair was, and you, you've never seen pro wrestling. <laughs> but, you know, I'll name some, some guys, some some your your audience may have heard of and some they may not have. And if they, and I recommend if they haven't heard of some of these guys, please look these guys up because just because you're a headline in WrestleMania doesn't mean that you're the most talented guy in the world of professional wrestling. Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, like I said, and, you know, you don't have to go to Bridgestone Arena to see a, a, a Garth Brooks concert to see the, some of the best country music artists and musicians. I can pretty much go to any bar and honky-tonk in this city and see guys that he, he can't even carry their guitar across the stage. So some of the folks that I may mention, if you've never heard of, please please look them up. And, you know, you might you might discover, you know, that you're probably, uh, you know, they, they might strike a tune with you and you might start following that, that person in their career as well. Um, you know, of course, I always enjoyed wrestling. Shawn Michaels, uh, Owen Hart, uh, Kurt Henning, uh, Randy Savage, um, you know, I always had uh, very competitive matches. I always had competitive matches with Tatanka. Very fun, very entertaining. Uh, I enjoyed working with uh, uh, the Smoking Guns, uh, Billy and Bart, uh, me and Barry Horowitz, and uh, uh, Brooklyn Brawler. Had a six-man tag once. I think it was maybe been on Monday Night Raw. Maybe it wasn't. But uh, it was a six-man tag. And it was the uh, Smoking Guns and Tatanka against me, Horowitz, and uh, uh, Brooklyn Brawler. And that was a very fun, entertaining TV match, high energy. Got to do a lot of great stuff with them, and uh, that, that was good. One of one of my favorite tag matches was me and my old partner, Stephen Dunn, taking on the Hardy Boys in about 1998. Um, they brought us in uh, to work with the Hardys, and we were – thinking that we were going to be on a run with those guys for a while and just unfortunately it just didn't it just didn't pan out. I don't think it was anything that we could or couldn't do in the ring with those guys because I felt like we had good chemistry. It just uh you know, Vince McMahon he wasn't a big fan of tag team wrestling and it just it just did happen to go our way. But uh always had great matches with Brian Christopher down in Memphis. Um he and I wrestled over the Southern heavyweight title uh down there many years ago. And um always had great matches with Brian. Brian and I would go out there and we would wrestle 45 minutes to an hour uh, on the house show matches. And we would try to have the best match on the whole card every night. And it's a lot of fun when you have somebody who is driven. Brian was driven. I was driven. We were both young. We had stuff to prove, we felt. And we were trying to go out every night and you know, hey, follow this if you can, you know, type of, of matches and trying to just push ourselves to uh, be the best that, that we could be. And, and we had good chemistry. Brian and I, we didn't really talk much outside the ring. We didn't do anything or a lot of things socially outside the ring. I mean, it was just kind of like the, just kind of like the sheepdog and the coyote. You know, we were friends, and then we would punch in, and then 
okay, I'm going to push you tonight. You push me tonight. That's the deal. And we're going to try to get the best match out of each other that we possibly can. There's no nights off with us. And so always enjoyed that time there. Uh, always enjoyed having Barry Horowitz as a tag partner. Um, uh, always had uh, really good tag matches, no matter who we was in the ring with. Uh, we always knew he was going to have a lot of fun and have, have you know, Barry liked to work hard. I like being in the ring with the guys that want to work hard. It was really serious about their craft and really driven to give the best performance that they could give night in and night out. Always enjoyed working with the Bushwhackers. They were fun guys. You knew you weren't going to get hurt. It was a little bit more of a light, lighter type of match, a little bit more of a comedy type of match. But I always felt like doing things outside your norm will help you grow and help build your repertoire as a wrestler. You know, yeah, you can go out there and have, you know, catch-as-catch-can wrestling matches every night with Owen Hart, but can I go out there and have also an entertaining match with a Mabel or, you know, being a comedy match with the Bushwhackers. Things like that stretch you and make you more valuable to the company that you're wrestling for. So always, you know, appreciate and enjoy all those as well. Um, like I said, there's so many guys. Oh, God, let me forget this one. I uh, always enjoyed working with Wolfie D, whether it be in a tag match with, with uh, his uh, tag partner, J.C. Ice, which is Bill Dundee's son, Jamie, Jamie Dundee. Uh, they had a short run in WWF. Is I can't remember the gimmick that they had them on, but uh, but we always had barn burner matches with those guys. Worked extremely hard. Always good tough matches with uh, Flash Flanagan. If you're not a if you don't know who I'm talking about, folks, look him up. Also look up Wolfie D. He's a very talented uh, individual. And those you know two guys, Chris Michaels, you know, is another one. Look up Chris Michaels. If folks don't know who I'm talking about, just just take the time. It's worth it um, to to work with those types of guys. Just because you don't you've never heard of some of these guys, that doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a thing. Like I said, you know, just because you're headlining WrestleMania, don't mean you're the best guy. On, doesn't even mean you're the best guy on that card. So uh, don't don't fans don't get fooled by some of that hype, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's hype, you know, but, uh, there's a lot of talented folks that I was fortunate enough to be in the ring with, uh, night in and night out. And like I said, I'm 54. I wish I was 24 cause I would do it all over again. Uh, people ask me now, they go, well, how does your body feel? And I go, you know, being an enhancement talent for a good portion of my younger part of my career, it, it does. It takes a toll on you. Uh, I've got bad hips, bad back, neck. Um, I struggle every day with just some basic movements. Um, another one of the guys to add to the list, I don't want to forget, Tracy Smothers. Tracy Smothers and I had a barn burner of a babyface versus babyface match at Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So for all you folks that watch all the old tapes, Dig that one out. Um, we had, we felt like we had a real good match, and uh, and I give Tracy Smothers 100% all the credit on that. That was all him, and I was so appreciative of, of of his talent in the ring, his professionalism, and his friendship. You know, out of the ring and up and down the roads, he was a great guy. And uh, I think 
that might wrap it up. I don't know. There's there's so many guys, and I don't want to leave anybody out. I don't want somebody calling me up going, man, I heard that interview, and you didn't miss it, <laughs> you know, because there's, there's so many. I just, I was just so fortunate and so lucky to be in the ring with, like I said, just – just the, the Mount Rushmore. And when I say Mount Rushmore professional wrestling, I don't mean just four people. I mean, there's hundreds of guys that I was able to perform with that great guys inside the, the ring, outside the ring, great performers in the ring and out of the ring and taught me a lot along the way. You know, if I, my advice to anybody that's a young person in the wrestling business, you know, Keep your mouth shut. Keep your ears open. You know, God gave you one mouth for a reason. Gave you two ears for a reason. So do the math on that, and uh, just just be willing and open to learn, and uh, work extremely hard. You know, there's never a day off. There's never a day off, and you got to give your best every day. If you're trying to climb that ladder of getting as far as you can, here's the thing too that I don't want people to get misconstrued with. I felt like that I was the best wrestler that I could be. I felt like that not to say that I was the best wrestler in the world, I'm not saying that. You know, probably wasn't the best wrestler on a lot of cards I was on maybe. But I was trying to be the best wrestler that I could be. And that gives me a lot of great fulfillment of knowing that I felt like that I did that. And, you know, even even people in their everyday walks of life, you know, whether you're a janitor, whether you're a doctor or accountant or mom or dad, be the best one of those that you can be, you know, and then every day try to improve. And if you can do that, you know, life's, life's you're going to be blessed. I promise you. I promise you. So that, that's, 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 that's it from Reno Riggins, I guess, unless you got some more questions for me. No, I just wanted to know if you did uh, some social media. Do you have some plugs you want to get out there? Uh, anything like that? You know, I I, I don't. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just you know, like I said, just as happy to be here tonight. And uh, you know, down the road, you know, I guess once my right now, like I said, I'm just so focused on being a dad. You know, that's I'm 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 all in on that every day, every night. And I enjoy it so much, and I know it's just for a limited time because my sons are 18 and 14, and it's not going to last forever. I know one day they're going to be up and out of the house and pursuing their careers and being with their families. And then when that happens, I I might find myself sliding back into something in some capacity with pro wrestling, uh, maybe as you know an announcer or you know just helping out at a wrestling school or or just, you know, wherever I can, you know, get in where I can fit in, you know, and just, just be glad that I can still be a part of it and share a little bit of knowledge or or something that might help somebody else down the road. Because, you know, like, like I said, you know, probably the most, I'd say probably to this day, probably the most famous wrestler is The Rock. And I remember years ago he used to be teamed up uh, in Memphis, USWA, with a guy named Bart Sawyer. And um, Bart Sawyer is a good friend of mine. And, you know, here you go. You have a guy that's virtually homeless. Talk, speaking of The Rock, you know, virtually homeless. 
and has a guy that, you know, is, is helping him out along the way a little bit. And he said, you never know what you're going to say or do that's going to influence somebody, influence their career, influence their life. And you look at that guy and you go, guy's on top of the world right now. You know, he's he's probably achieved everything in the wrestling world that he'd want to achieve, probably everything in the movie world that he wants to achieve. Who knows what he's going to do next, you know. Because what happens with guys that I think that are highly driven like that, they'll go to one part, they'll go to one chapter of their life and be the best that they can possibly be. Not necessarily be the best in the world at that thing or whatever, but be the best they could possibly be. Well, The Rock was the best that he could possibly be in the world of wrestling. And he's, he's better a whole lot. <laughs> and then he went to the movie business, be the best that he possibly could be, found out again. He's better than a lot of other people, you know. So who knows what the next chapter is for someone like that. However, someone down the road said something to that guy to maybe change his path, maybe set him up, you know. And hopefully one day, you know, because I've, I've, coached, I've coached youth sports since I've been away from the world of professional wrestling. I'll say this one thing, then I'll, then I'll, I'll cut it off. I've been so fortunate with coaching youth sports that a few years ago I had a, a baseball team, and I'm a big fan of a guy named Tim Corbin, who's the head baseball coach at Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt University baseball um, is tops in the country. I mean, they're a perennial, you know, top five program. And so the team that I coached, I, I called them the Little Commodores because I wanted him to be emulate, you know, what I thought was a very positive influence and, and running a very good program, Tim Corbin, in which he is. So off that one team that I coached, this one team, 12-year-olds, they were all 12 years old. This was in um, 2014. Okay. The kid that I had that played shortstop is now playing baseball at Notre Dame. The kid that played first base for me is now playing football at Vanderbilt. The, one of my biggest pitchers is now playing nose guard at University of Georgia. The kid that played center field for me is quarterback in, at Dartmouth University. One of the kids that played left field for me is playing college hockey. Um, and I've had three other kids that are playing college baseball off that team. And not that I had everything to do with their success, but I do feel like I may have said just one or two things that have helped path in a positive way. And so, you know, always, you know, be kind to one another. And like I said, you never know what you're going to say to affect somebody and affect their future in a positive way. So, you know, just tell everybody to be nice out there and play fair. <laughs> very, very true. And I feel like, they should have let you cut some more promos. I mean, you're uh, such a good talk. I, I, I well, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't do many of these, but I, I do enjoy the times that I that I do do them, and and I think I just save up a lot of energy. <laughs> I think I think maybe if I did them night in and night out, I'd probably get tired, you know. But uh, I save up a lot of energy for them, and I try to give uh, the best that I have to give, and hopefully. You know, hopefully somebody hears this and says, you know what, if that knucklehead did it, I know I can do it, right? And so and then they, they start their journey, and I hope they reach their dreams. Nice. Mr. 
Reno Riggins, thank you so much for all time today. This has been an absolute blast, like I said. Such a great talker. I wish to let you cut some more promos. It's great stuff from you, but thank you so much for all the time tonight. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really did enjoy I really enjoyed it and wish you guys the best. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies.